Well, uh, if you haven't already turned there, or whatever you do in a digital app, that's what you use. Romans, chapter 15. We'll be looking at verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to uh, open this passage up to us this morning. Loving Father, again, we just come before your, your marvelous throne. Uh, Lord, you are full of majesty. You are full of glory. You are full of honor. Who can be compared to you? Um, Lord, when we just look at your creation that you just spread out like a curtain, uh, just how amazing. Um, and it's amazing you've made us in your image. And what a blessing, what a privilege that in your image we can know you. You've created us to be able to know you. You've created us to be able to be filled with your Holy Spirit. You've created us to have fellowship with you. And Lord, we come to this passage, <clears throat> a passage that just uh, sort of encapsulates a, just a precious, precious features of our salvation. And uh, Lord, I'm just uh, someone who's going to speak this morning. I can't open people's hearts. I can't open people's minds. All I can do is present. And I pray I can present it uh, well enough um, so that people can understand, people can hear. But Lord, we just pray your Holy Spirit would come into the lives of all. Lord, come into my heart, my life. These things are real and precious, and I want to be able to drink of them. Lord, come into the lives and hearts of everybody here, whether they've had a good week, a mediocre week, or a bad week. Lord, we're here because of the blood of the Lamb. We're here because we believe. Um, hopefully, if we've had a bad week, we'll have a better one this coming week. Uh, but Lord, that's not the basis of coming to you. And so just pray you would bless your word. You would just take this simple passage and uh, just make it real and precious. And we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The God of hope. The God of hope is a, just an interesting phrase here. This God of hope, this phrase, really only occurs here. It doesn't occur anywhere else in the Bible. There's some 380 plus times the terminology in the Old Testament. We read the God of, and then you could plug in Shem, Abraham, Israel, Hebrews, the fathers. The Old Testament is full of that. And then the New Testament even, even has it. 40 times we can read the God of and sometimes it's the God of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, the God of peace, the God of all grace. So this is a phrase, the God of, um, that we find a lot. But again, this is the only place where Paul describes God as the God of hope. And as the God of hope, uh, he is the one who is the main actor in this statement. It's the God of hope who fills with all joy and peace in believing. I mean, there's also the power of the Holy Spirit, but the God of hope is this primary actor in this statement, the God of hope. Well, to understand why Paul would use God of hope, just need to go a few verses up in chapter 15, verse 7. Sorry for the ugly screen here, by the way. It looked good on my computer at home. Then I was looking at it here. I'm like, oh, gosh, this is so ugly. Maybe it'll make it memorable. I don't know. 
But Paul, in, in this chapter, he comes to the place where he says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that is the Jew, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. To appreciate the book of Romans, what you have to do is you have to imagine that Paul is writing to this audience, and maybe an easy way to do it, of four people. So we could just say up here there's four chairs, there would be four people sitting here, and that's Paul's, Paul's audience. One of them is a believing Jewish person in the first century. The next one is an unbelieving Jewish person. And the other one over here is a believing non-Jewish or Gentile person, and uh, the other one is the unbelieving non-Jewish, Gentile person. And if you see that as Paul's audience and you understand the book of Romans, I remember as a young Christian I was reading, I didn't have a clue what Paul was saying, circumcision, I don't know what all this stuff is. But you start to, start to get the hang of it when you realize his audience was Jews who were having a hard time uh, <clears throat> with Jesus Christ coming and fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament that just didn't really click with their tradition and so they would struggle with some things even though they were believers. I mean, they were believing on Jesus, but they're like we were scratching our heads over a passage this morning in Habakkuk, and uh, they scratched their heads also over passages. But Paul makes it very clear that Jesus Christ came into the world as God's servant to confirm God's promises to the nation of Israel. That's what he came into the world to do. And likewise, at the same time, he came into the world to bring the gospel to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles will glorify God for his mercy. Now, that's Paul's statement. It doesn't fly with some popular theology that's been around in our country for about 150 years, but these are Paul's statements, and we need to embrace them and keep it simple. Um, If you get all tangled up in Jew and Gentile and all those things, just keep it simple. Just read the passage and accept it and... uh, Realize Paul's making a pretty simple statement here. Christ came into the world to fulfill all the Old Testament promises, prophecies, types, shadows, and symbols. But Christ came as it's written. You can always count on Paul to appeal to the Old Testament. You can always count on Paul that even the, the language he uses is really Old Testamenty language. But here he's directly appealing to the Old Testament. He says, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing unto your name. It's written, and in this case, this was written by King David. You can find this passage in 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty, or in Psalm 18. I prefer 2 Samuel because then I can say, well, Paul quotes from the histories and from the law and from the Psalms and from the prophets. So I get to hit all four cylinders if I, uh, if I look at it as coming from 2 Samuel. But the point here is David, who is a prophet, He's envisioning a future where the Gentiles, that is me and you, we're Gentiles, a future where the Gentiles will hear the word of God. David's saying, I'm going to praise you among those nations. I'm going to sing your name to them. They will hear. Paul brings another quote in from Deuteronomy a place where, yeah, you could go there for maybe types and shadows and stuff, but it's sort of an interesting place to find a statement like this. Who would have thunk it, as some would say? Again, it said in Deuteronomy 32, Rejoice, O Gentiles, 
with his people. Isn't that interesting? The result of David singing unto the Gentiles that the Gentiles are going to come to God and alongside the nation of Israel, they are going to rejoice and praise Yahweh. Paul brings up another passage from the Old Testament. And again, praise the Lord, all you nations, you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. This is out of Psalms 117. It's the shortest psalm in the Bible. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you peoples, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the faithfulness or the truth of the Lord endures forever. The Gentiles are going to one day praise and boast in the Lord. And then finally, he appeals to Isaiah. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the nations. In him will the nations or the Gentiles hope. Now, the root of Jesse, Jesse was the father of King David. So when he says root of Jesse, he's talking about King David. There's going to come a Davidic king. And that Davidic king is going to arise and rule all nations. Rule the nations. Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore, or having gone therefore, disciple the nations. He's going to rule the nations. And in him, the nations will hope. And so that's where Paul takes his cue, and he talks about the God of hope. That's the last word there in Isaiah chapter 11 that he quotes. Well, since hope is our theme, a central focus of this passage, he's the God of hope, and uh, he's going to fill us with joy and peace, and we are going to abound in hope, at least that's the purpose and plan. What does hope mean? Pretty much we kind of think it means like we're looking, looking for something down the road somewhere, some way, somehow. Hope is something you don't have, as the scriptures will point out. But if you kind of look it up and just say, okay, what has somebody who's thought about this a lot and put it out there in a dictionary form? Hope is an expectation or desire for something to be I would desire my bank account to be at a certain level, hoping for that. Or something to happen. I would like to go to the beach next May. Often with a sense of possibility. It's possible I can go to the beach, but it hasn't happened yet. It's possible that my bank account might rise uh, more than normal, but it hasn't happened yet. And so hope, in the general sense, has to do with expectation, anticipation, desire, and some other things you could, you know, put in there. So hope is looking forward for something that hasn't occurred yet. Now the Bible, when it talks about hope, has a nuance of hope that's really important to grasp. So the, uh, some of the young boys like fishing, I think. I never liked fishing. I couldn't. My grandpa, I went fishing with my grandpa. Then we caught a fish, and he pulls this fish up, and the fish is flopping around, and he knocks the thing out and starts skinning it while it's still alive. I was having a heart attack. I'm like, you're skinning this poor fish? And I, that was it for me. I wasn't going to go fishing anymore. 
my grandpa got all frustrated. And he said, okay, and he had to go kill the thing because I was probably crying, who knows. But, you know, you went out to fish, you go out to fish and you're plunking your line in the water and what are you doing? You're hoping you're going to catch something, right? Now, maybe you'll catch something, maybe you won't. I was out fishing with my aunt and uncle and they were being slow putting the bait in and being the young person that I was, I just wanted to get my hook in the water and so I was going to start to throw my hook in the water and my, my Aunt Jean said, don't throw that hook in the water, you've got to have bait on it to, to, to get something. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But anyway, like a kid will do. I'm sitting there floating around, nobody's looking and I plunked my hook in the water and a fish jumped on it and I caught it <laughs> with no bait. I can't remember what was on the face of my aunt. I probably remember it more than she does but I thought it was interesting. That's about the only fish I ever caught because you go out there and you sit in the hot sun. Whatever, I could describe it how I think of it. But I'm hoping to catch something and I may or may not catch it. But the Bible doesn't have that idea of possibility surrounding its word use of hope. Now there may be a few just normal, general uses in the Bible where someone's hoping this and hoping that. But when we talk about the hope that's in our passage, the God of all hope, that we would abound in hope, Hope is an expectation or desire for future salvation. Hope has specific content. It's desire for a future salvation in a new heavens and new earth. That's very clear. It's a, it's a desire for eternal life in that new heavens and new earth. It's a, it's a hope of having that. And it is always given with a sense of trust and certainty. We're not following Jesus, hoping we're going to make it. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. We'll see how it all pans out. We are following Jesus with the absolute guarantee by God himself that we will have eternal life in a new heavens and a new earth. That's the hope that is in this passage. Now hope occurs a number of times in the book of Romans. One of the interesting places where Abraham, who's said to be the father of us all, he's the father of all believers. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Abraham is your father. He's the father of all of us in the presence of him whom he believed. Abraham believed God. And because he believed God when God said you're going to have a son and you're going to have a a posterity that will be as the stars of heaven. That's us, you all stars of heaven. Did you know that? Your star, your star, you're all stars of heaven. With the fulfillment of that promise. But Abram didn't even have a child. Too old to have a child. Sarah, too old to have a child. And so when Abraham would look to his own possibilities of coming up with a child... He's like, well, this isn't going to work. There's no hope that we together at our age can have a child. But here's God telling him he's going to have children as the stars of heaven. Here's the sort of reality of uh, the normal natural order of things, and he's not going to have a posterity as the stars of heaven. And so Abraham believed God against the hopelessness of a natural process. He believed against hope. He had hope in God. So Abraham just didn't have faith, he had hope. 
And when you start putting hope and, and faith and these things together, they're, they're kind of blended together. If you have faith, then you should have hope. If you have hope, it's because you have faith. But here's Abram, Abraham, who in hope believed against hope. He believed in hope in a certain future in spite of apparent obstacles. Again, another place in Romans where you have hope. Paul sort of summarizing this section on all have sinned and now all are justified in Christ and Abraham's an example of it and he's the father of us all and it all began with Abraham in terms of this promise of, of, a, of a seed in a nation. It has its tributaries or its you can track it back to Genesis 3.15, but the, <clears throat> the main scenery starts to happen in Abraham's life. So Paul starts to summarize, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The foundation of all hope is justification by faith in Christ. Do you remember that? Do you believe that? We've been justified. We have eternal life. We have a sure and a certain hope. Being justified by faith is having a just forgiveness of sins based on a blood atonement that brings peace with God. We have peace with God. If you're not a true believer in Jesus Christ, then you do not have this justification with God. And this is the biggest issue you can ever address. One day we're going to die. Just as sure as we're breathing where we sit, we are going to die. And when that time comes, when that event comes, we will not be able to escape it. We will not be able to avoid it. Thinking, well, I'm just going to squint my eyes and grin and bear it. I mean, that just doesn't work. There's something beyond that process of death that we will all certainly experience unless Jesus comes back first. What are you going to do when that process comes upon you? When you really face death? When you're young, you don't think much about it. You're invincible. As you get middle-aged, you don't have enough time to think about it because you're so busy raising kids and such. When you get older, you start evaluating your life and you go, man, I don't get a do-over, do I? And the reality of death is closer than it was yesterday and last week and last year. And this justification just comes more and more significant, more and more precious, more and more powerful. If you are not justified before God, you will have to stand before God on your own in your sin, with your guilt, 
under his wrath. It's a just wrath. God isn't throwing lightning bolts because he's mad. God does not operate like that. God is a holy God. This is his universe. He has to uphold his righteousness and his justice and his kingship in his universe. He can't let it go. He can't let breaches go. Every time a human being sins, it sins ripples through the universe and God, God's going to have to address it. But you can be justified. You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ and his cross. And if you have this, if you have this justification by faith, if you have this peace with God, then you have obtained access by faith into the grace of God. Romans chapter 1 opens in verse 18 by saying that, you know, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And it comes from heaven directly. God's personally behind it because he's the righteous judge of the universe. And in that state, men don't have access to the grace of God. All they have is a certain hope of justice. When you come to Jesus Christ, you obtain access by faith into grace. Grace is God's favor and goodwill in our lives. And you come into this certain hope of a glory in the new glory and in the new heavens and earth. You exult in the hope of the glory of God. So that's what Christians do. At least that's what we're supposed to do. Now I'm going to have to confess. I could keep this quiet, but I have to fess up. The ASV failed me here. This word exalt in the ASV is translated rejoice. And it could be translated rejoice, but it's far more than rejoice. Exalt is a, an attempt to try to capture that this is more than rejoicing. The word in the Greek could be where someone's a braggart. Someone could be talking about themselves and they have excessive pride and they have this self-satisfaction. The word could be used for that. It means boasting, bragging. That's not how it's used here. Here it's used in a way that we rejoice and we exult and we boast in the hope of the glory of God and we're excessive about it. We're not bragging about ourselves. We're bragging about the hope of the glory of God. So all of us talking about things, that's what we should be doing. Bragging on God. Bragging that we have the hope of glory. Bragging that we have a new heavens and earth. Bragging that this is a great reality that's sure and certain. And it's the glory of God. It's not just that we're going to have a place to live somewhere. I mean, I'm sure we will. We're going to have bodies, glorified bodies. But we're going to be in the presence of the glory of God. A presence that all the angels currently see, we will one day see it. But when we step into that glory, we're going to step in front of the angels because we are the children of God. Are you bragging about that? Do 
Do you glory in it? Or do you diminish it? Do you put it off to the side? Do you say, oh, well, that's for later. I've got enough problems right now I have to deal with. So my brothers and sisters, it's the hope of the glory of God. You're supposed to be, you know, hoping. It's not something to diminish. It's not something to let dwindle. It's not something to put on the sidelines. It's something you are to embrace and you're to glory before God. Do you thank the Lord all the time that you have eternal life? I mean, when you're sad, we read a little bit out of Habakkuk this morning, and Habakkuk was saying, though, though I have no, my farmland's been destroyed, there's no food anywhere, everything's empty, the barns are empty, and there's no hope or prospect of anything, yet I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because Habakkuk had the hope of the glory of God. Are you exalting Are you boasting in the glory of God? Paul goes on, not only this, not only do you glory in what you're going to get in the future, but also are you gloried in your tribulations? These crazy Christians face hardship and they go, well, I'm boasting. Do you do that? Do you see your hardships as God being mean or do you see your hardships as God doing something in your life? Do you see hardships and embrace hardships knowing that these hardships bring about perseverance. They do things in your life. They accomplish things in your life, good things. They build character. It's God's boot camp. Do you get strengthened by your hardships and tribulations? Do you persevere in them, or do you kind of crumple up and get on the sidelines and wonder why is God doing something to you? The tribulations... Work steadfastness, perseverance, and faith and holiness. They work proven character. I'm sure many of you heard the, the story of when a company, at least sometimes, would build a bridge. At the end of finishing the bridge, they take all the equipment onto the bridge and let it sit there. And someone might think, well, gosh, are they testing the bridge to see if it's going to fall down? No, they're not testing the bridge. They know it's not going to fall down, and they're putting everything out there to show to the world, this bridge isn't falling down, guys. This is proven, a proven bridge. And that's what God does in our life. He brings to our life hardships and perplexities and things like that to prove us, to build character in us, to get at things in our lives that we don't even know are there and to get all the yuck out and to put in its place real, real character that will last and stand the test of time and eternity. And that, that brings you to have hope. And a hope that doesn't disappoint. Again, we have this sense of confident certainty, the inevitability of a glorious future. And we exult in our adver- adversities because we interpret them properly. They're not fun but we put a proper interpretation on them and with faith we, we just hang in there with the Lord. If, we're, if it's really, you know, really putting pressure on us, you cry out to the Lord. That's what the Psalms are for. David all the time crying out to the Lord. You know, I've, I got all this pressure in my life. Enemies. Turmoil. Perplexity. 
But we hang in with God, we will never be disappointed. Romans 8. For in hope we've been saved. But hope that's seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? That idea that hope is always something future. It's not something you have. It's something you are looking forward to. But if we hope for what we do not see, then with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. This is Christian hope. Salvation is in our present state, always forward-looking. If we got to have it now, Jesus said, you may not get it then. Now, we have the Holy Spirit. We have a partial experience of what will one day be fully realized in our life in a, in a resurrection glory. There's sometimes systems of theology that say, okay, you can, you can have that fullness now. Someone comes and says, man, you can have this great experience of God. You can just live on a plateau and get from all your troubled life of the valley and get up here on the plateau with God. I suggest to you that's invalid. <clears throat> that's certainly not anything we read in Scripture. It's not what we read in the last passage. Tribulation is what God sends our way. Not plateaus. This hope is a powerful dynamic. It fuels our perseverance. If we hope for what we don't see, then we have perseverance. We eagerly wait for it because we know it's real. Faith combined with hope enables a certain anticipation of a glorious future. Is that your Christianity? Paul assumes it. Paul expects it. Paul talks about it. Paul encourages it. Romans 12, 12, it's that space where we have this section of what is body life. Starts with finding your place in the body. And then it starts with things that, then it goes to all the things that everybody's supposed to be doing. It's a series of brief statements capturing the elements and essence of our life together. And there's a whole bunch of them. They're really cool. Sort of in the book of Romans, you wouldn't expect that would be one of the most awesome places to go to for body life. But hope is included in this enumeration of the precious metals of true spirituality. We're to do this, this, and this, and we're to be rejoicing in hope. It's something that's kind of assumed. Rejoicing in hope is infectious. And when someone's rejoicing in hope and you're having a bad day, you kind of can get perked up. When you see people around and you know they're going through some hard things, but they're rejoicing in hope, gosh, what does that do? That encourages you to, yeah, what about me? I'm going to have faith. And once again, hope is connected with joy. Here the regular word for rejoicing is used. The ASV didn't let me down. So again, hope, it's an expectation or desire for your future salvation in the new heavens and a new earth. It it comes always with a sense of trust and certainty. That is hope. Now Paul says not only do we have hope, but we have this God of hope. Hope only comes from God. God the creator, God the sustainer of this universe in which we live. He's the God of hope. He designs hope. He has procured hope for us in the blood of his son. 
a just hope, a just basis for hope, and he provides it freely. Not much free in this world, is there? If someone says, offers you something free, what, are, what, do, you, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, no free lunch. I come in here, there's this sign that says, we'll sell your house, and if we don't sell your house, we'll buy it from you. Uh, every time I see it, I go, I wonder what the small print of that contract reads. No small print here. You don't have to go get, get another lawyer to read this small print. You already have a lawyer, Jesus. This hope is free. The reality of it's free. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers sure, certain hope to all who repent and believe. And what is interesting is, can you think of a religion that offers a like hope? I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, you know, can't go to the atheists because they certainly don't have any hope to offer. Their hope is, yeah, when you die, that's it. Sorry, Saranara. No meaning and purpose after the grave. Oops, we forgot to tell you that means there's no meaning on this side of the grave either then. Atheism has nothing to offer. Hinduism is nothing but a revolving door of reincarnation. Roll the dice and hope you come up, you know, better than the last time. Buddhism offers personal disillusion. That's the point of Buddhism, by the way. You lose your personhood and you dissolve back into nirvana. Some vague and personal force. Star Wars. Islam and Judaism are in the end based on works. Good luck with that. New Age Spiritism dangles a bunch of crystals and such in front of you and says, here's your hope. Manipulate the universe with crystals and health food. Christianity is the only thing in the world that offers real hope in the face of a very hard life and a very real death. We have that hope. We have the word of life to give to people. We have a God of hope. Now we have to be clear about this God of hope. The only way to come to him is through his son, Jesus Christ. The world, of course, will say, well, that's very narrow. I'm like, yep, it is. It's narrow. You got it. You hit the nail on the head. God has only one way to come to him. He has only one way to come to him because there was only one being in the universe who could deal with our sin and save us from death. Buddha can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. The four horsemen of the new atheism can't do it. And apart from this God, you have no hope. Again, as sure as you're breathing now, you're one day going to face this God and are you going to have the hope of the gospel because you've believed on Jesus and you've repented of your sin or are you going to be fulfilling this phrase in yellow on the screen? The nations who didn't know God having no hope and without God in the world. What a state to be in.
Now, this God of hope is the actor, and really the verb is this. There's the God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It's, a, it's sort of a, not a, really a prayer. It's more than a desire. It's kind of a benediction. May the God of hope fill you. This is Paul's sort of closing remarks in the book of Romans. He wants the God of hope to fill us. Fill you, fill me. And this idea of fill you is an idea of fullness. It's a word in the family of play Roma. And as humans, we're empty cups. The idea that when we're born, we're just, you know, self-made or just self-sufficient is plain silly. We were, are born, as human beings, we were born to know God. We were born to be filled with him. And as sinners, we spend most of our life trying to fill it with other things. But here Paul says, no, when you come to Christ, you realize who you really are and you're an empty cup designed to be filled by God. For God to pour out his grace and joy and peace and love into you, to fill you. And now what God fills you with joy and peace in believing, when he fills you with this hope, he's filling you with something from himself. Have you thought of that? Jesus said that my joy may be in you, John 15, 11. I want you to be filled with his joy. That comes from him. He's going to share something of himself with us. Is that incredible or not? Again, in John 17, he prays that they may have my joy made full in them. We have our joy, but our joy gets lit by his joy, so to speak. And so we're filled from God. And we're to be filled with all joy in this case. And all joy doesn't just simply mean all. It means all and every. However you wish to look at the joy. If you want to look at it as, as a big giant piece of joy, or if you want to look at the individual parts of it, all and every aspect of joy to be filled with this. Now, joy simply means a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And the joy of the Lord is one of those things, as they say, it's better felt than telt. I was listening to or watching a program on infinity a week or two ago. Kind of interesting, a journey through infinity. And uh, there was this one physicist, mathematician, because they got a whole bunch of them on there telling little stories about infinity, different aspects of infinity. Infinity plus infinity equals infinity. That's, the math is kind of strange. But he was saying that he himself in his personal experience of life as he was like looking at infinity as a young physicist, he was realizing that infinity means just everything just keeps going on and there's no end and, and then he started to deduce the reality of that. There's not only no end to things but there's no point to things. His personal testimony was, I came to the place where I was going to end my life because I had no hope in this world. And it's a really great story because he's a very, very good storyteller and you're, you're sitting there watching and you're wondering what's going to happen because here he is, you know, he, apparently he made it through. But he said, everything I looked at, everything I considered, I saw was just empty and nothingness. And then his face lights up and he says, 
And then I fell in love. And everything mattered. And that's what it is to come to God. When you see your own emptiness, that you can't really sustain your own life, you're not really who you thought you were or even who you wanted to be on your own. And you see life as just a spiral of vanity. And then Jesus Christ comes. And he fills you with all joy and all peace. And then everything matters. What is peace? It's freedom from disturbance or conflict or war. But a graveyard's free of those things. So got to be more to it. In the Bible, it's not just simply this absence of conflict. It is a state of blessing and well-being. That's what it is to be at peace. And this comes to us from believing through believing. Faith appropriates Christ's propitiation and his redemption and reconciles us to God. You can't earn your way into favor with God. You have to believe your way into favor with God. Joy and peace in believing. So that you will abound in hope. I mean, God wants his hope to be fully engaged in our lives. We're supposed to be rejoicing. We're supposed to be exulting. We're supposed to be boasting. We're supposed to be bragging. But what happens? Jesus told the parable, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things start to come in and choke hope out where the hardship just seems to go on and on and we let go of hope or heartache you just can't bear it anymore and you let go of hope my brothers and sisters don't do that now imagine if you went down to a store and you see on the ground a lotto ticket. I don't advise buying one, but you find one. And lo and behold, it's the winning ticket for the whatever it's up to now, who knows. And you go home and you still keep dime, putting dimes and nickels in your piggy bank. You still keep looking at your bank account going, I don't know if I'm going to make it this month, even though you've got you know $200 million lotto ticket right here. And you're worried about where you're going to get, you know, pay the, the next mortgage from, and, and all these things, and, and you're sitting here with a lotto ticket that says you don't have to worry about it ever again. And yet you're still worrying about it. What would you say to that? A little crazy? We have eternal life. We have hope, hope that's everlasting. Don't let go of it. Always hold on to it. Always embrace it. Always rejoice in it, always boast in it, always at least tell God thank you for it, even though right now it's just hard to hold on. Don't pinch your spiritual pennies. The power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's referenced 29 times in the book of Romans. As Christians, we live and walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the dynamic of our life. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to abound in hope. The Holy Spirit is the one 
from whom and through whom the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. He is the one through whom and from whom we are filled with this joy and peace in believing. Christianity is not a new moralism. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's a life infused and energized by the Holy Spirit. Hope and love is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us a gift from God, a free gift. You can't buy it, you can't purchase it because it's not for sale. It has to be given and you only get it by coming to God through Jesus Christ. There's another just right up the road from the verse we're looking at. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is only a few verses before the one we're looking at. Paul is just emphasizing the dynamics of Christianity, the dynamics of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What happens when you grieve the Holy Spirit? And the list of things that grieve the Holy Spirit are all anger, wrath, jealousies, frustration, angst, all these things. The Holy Spirit just doesn't want to be around for that. I mean, do you like hanging out with a crabby person? Well, neither does the Holy Spirit. Cultivate the Holy Spirit in your life. Let go of those things that just aren't important. The discontent, whatever. Just let it go. So may the God of hope fill you all with all joy and peace in believing that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to your throne and your Holy Spirit is the dynamic Lord, we pray that as individuals and as a body, we will have more and more of your Holy Spirit. Always think of Barnabas, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Lord, as a church, we really can't be much, certainly can't be anything really on our own, but Lord, we can be everything by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray again as individuals and together that we would not grieve the Spirit. We would be careful not to engage in those things that just create an environment where you don't want to be around. And Lord, we'd be careful to maintain those things and engage in those things that create an environment where you want to be around. And Lord, just uh, thank you for hope. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for this hope. Thank you for the joy that you shed abroad in our heart. We want it to be all the time. It's often just from time to time, but it's real. Thank you for the peace that we have with God. We don't have to worry about that anymore. We've got other things that we want to focus on. But we have peace with God. Lord, may we all, just all, live in that blessing and brag about the hope we have in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.